The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. This is our f***ing city. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And welcome to the Boston Podcast. Welcome back, my friends, you pod lovers. So you can't say podophile. That gets you in trouble. I found that out the hard way. But welcome back to the Boston Podcast here at pod617.com. I am recording from our studios in Westwood, Mass. And I have, per usual, per regular appearance on this show, my enemy lines buddy, Michael Milt Wolf. For the time has come to introduce you. Enemy lines. From parts south of here, a lot closer to New York and the Evil Empire. How are you, Milt? Reporting for duty here, calling from the uh, McDonald's Bacon Cheese Fries Studios, our <laughs> new uh, a new sponsor. Um, really yeah. delighted with their participation after our our rave. So uh, good to be here, Dave. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, what they did was, after you trashed the McDonald's bacon cheese fries on a previous edition of this pod, instead of giving us money to sponsor the show, what they did was they sent over a shitload of bacon cheese fries. And that was the worst punishment anyone could ever imagine. Yeah. So At the you- end of the day, I'm very easy to buy. So, <laughs> look, if you need to just try to you know, buy your way into affection, I will uh, gladly accept it. I have no moral code. It, it just seems like there are marketing executives throughout America that their answer to everything is just put bacon on it. That should be the name of a podcast. Just put bacon on it, you know? That could actually save many a marriage. <laughs> Don't you think? You go to a counselor and they just say, what, how do you really feel? Or, Why don't you just put bacon on that? And honey, then all your problems are solved. Uh, honey, you know what you haven't done in a while? Ugh, no way. Honey, what if I put bacon on it? <laughs> and I talking. feel like you should cue up like a porn soundtrack <laughs> right. after saying that and just yes. see. I think that actually might work better. So, Sure. Put, ba- put bacon on this and that and everything. That will happen. So that's why we have a segment to pick us up called Good Stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. So maybe um, sort of dual inspirations for this particular edition of good stuff we talked last podcast about mashups and how we dug that and um not quite cover songs i'm sorry a mashup is different than a cover song of course because it's you got your two songs in there but i recently heard this tell me if you tell me if you've heard this version of this song take a listen Would you guess that those are the vocals of Joe Elliott and Def Leppard doing really? own personal Jesus? Yeah, and 
and it's not an A plus, but if nothing else for that that and it might have been a little hard to hear on the recording I played, but the, you know how Def Leppard famously has that chorus of voices, you know, singing together, and to hear that beginning on the go, reach out, touch, it, it really got me fired up like, shit, I didn't realize they did a version of this. I think they just did it recently. Sp- Spotify is, is like peppering their music service with these so-called original songs, like they have them come into the so-called Spotify studio, and I think that's what it was. Right, so, right. Oh, so this, so this doesn't, it's a good one. Check it out, um, you know, YouTube it or Spotify it or whatever. But it uh, doesn't make my list of top five cover songs, but we thought it would be fun to do the top five uh, cover songs. I'm digging it. In our I personal life. I reserve the right to hate your choices, though. We, You know that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I reserve that right. This is Enemy Lines. This is right, and I shall hate yours. There are a couple of mine that are you're going to find curious. I have, I have a. a well, who sense. wants to start? Do you do you want to start, or should you? Or should I? Your call. You start. All right, I'll start. Okay. Well, let me also just say, you know, I have a philosophy about cover songs that their job is to reinvent the song. Oh yeah, you know what? I wanted to talk about this because I feel strongly about this. So go go ahead. You said, yeah. What are I, I mean? My problem is when somebody does a remake. Right. Which is in essence the same song with a new singer. Like the worst kind of examples of that, and and you know however you feel about Rod Stewart, whatever. When he remade that Van Morrison song, which was um, "Have, Have I, told I Told You Lately you That yeah. I Love You," right? It was literally the exact same song yeah. with Rod Stewart's voice. Well, hello, and that, hello, that's a waste of that's a waste of time. Totally agree. Hello, Weezer. Step up to the plate, Weezer. I'm sorry, but your whole fucking album is just you singing the songs in this, trying to imitate the style of the artist, with maybe an exception here or there. But the, now, Weezer was trying to be ironic. You know, you know, it was based on a fan wanting to do the song, and then they just were trying to show their love of '80s music. But you're right; they didn't even try to to make things their no, own. No, they just were doing an imitation of Toto. Right. It, it, you know, there's a problem when you're listening to the cover song and it makes you want to go back and listen to the original, which is what I anytime I hear. Toto by Weezer. I'm like, I mean, uh, Africa by Weezer. I want to hear the Toto version. So right. So I'm and totally I'm, with you. What I, thank you, and you're with me. And I think one of the easiest ways to do that is when a song crosses genres yes. from one to the other. And yes, most of my choices do just that. And I'll start at number five. And the, our listener base will not be aware of the song, but you will because we played the shit out of this. At our college radio station, before yeah. they became famous, I know who I know who this is. The Goo Goo Dolls. No, I didn't. But now I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. The Goo Goo <laughs> Dolls remade "Down on the Corner." Down on the corner with punk guitars and a driving beat and a great vocalist by the name of Lance Diamond, who died back apparently in 2015. Ooh. And the song just becomes more of a punk anthem in essence but still with that same sense of rhythm and mood and i absolutely love that song. it's a great choice as you say it is the google dolls google doll ising an old you know classic uh to what, what it's credence right down on the corner is credence correct right? yeah that is and, correct. and you know credence credence they, they weren't wusses they they could rock out but not like this and and that's a great one because both versions of the song are perfectly fine. That the the credence is great, and then to kick it up another level and give it that yeah, you hear those guitars at the beginning, and you're like, we're in for a, uh, something fun. And I remember 
when you and I were DJing on the Penn Radio Station, how excited you were to you like. I think you ran back to the apartment one day and told me, "You gotta play this on your show. The Goo Goo Dolls <laughs> covered down on the corner. It's awesome." There you go. And to be clear, it was way before the Goo Goo Dolls turned into a pop band. I mean, they were still a college radio station band at that point. I mean, it was they were punk. Yes. Um, then they sold out. Yes, absolutely. All right. Shall I go now? No, we were going to run down all of yours, right? Yeah. It's, you know, the rest of my list, you, I, you know, you know this about me. I have a, a, a thing about R&B and soul music that uh, I think especially lends itself to cover songs. When are you and opening so then, When are you opening your restaurant, Rhythm and Beers? I'm still waiting. <laughs> rhythm and Brews. No, it was Rhythm, rhythm and, and Brews. No. Rhythm and Brews. Oh, How no. I'll you? go to my grave. I think you mis- <laughs> you misremember your own fake restaurant. <laughs> Uh, rhythm I and bruise. Rhythm and bruise, really. Oh, you know what? That yeah. makes more sense. I must it have does. heard it wrong. Okay, never yeah, mind. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, rhythm and bruise. Right. Number ahead. four song is also one that listeners might not be familiar with. Um, the great, late, great singer Donny Hathaway does a live version of Carol King's You Got a Friend. Have you ever heard this, Dave? Wow, no. Yeah. What I want you to do is I want you to go to Spotify, and it's very important that you look up Donny Hathaway live. Wait, I'm, fr- I'm, freaking, your- I'm freaking out. You've got a friend as James Taylor. Oh, right? no, no. It was originally Carol King. Is that right? And James Taylor remade it. But that's not, the James Taylor version is not the one I'm talking about. Because the, the Carol King and James Taylor versions are very similar. Donny Hathaway, he recorded this, but also on his live album, brings it to a gospel really? chorus. When you're down and trouble and you need some love and care. I'm not kidding. When I listen to this song with headphones, I get chills. Wow. Maybe the same way as you were talking about. And I really, you know, you've, it starts as a very slow, um, soulful ballad that you could sort of hear the James Taylor version in, but then it just explodes. we move on that what you just said reminds me of a different cover song which didn't make my list do you have anyone on your list by someone who died in a tragic drowning accident because otherwise i'll just bring it up i don't want to i do not okay so it's that i'm talking about the jeff buckley version of hallelujah which it's on my honorable mention list and i was thinking about throwing it in there but it didn't fit my narrative because that's the remake of a of a uh, Leonard Cohen song, right? Exactly. And it's the song has a very interesting history because apparently Leonard Cohen went through literally hundreds of versions of the song before he felt like he got it right. And that I was listening to a podcast, I forget what it was, but it was something in the NPR family and they were just analyzing or it might have even been Mal- Malcolm Gladwell. Never mind NPR. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History, talked about how different artists had different styles. And, you know, the Rolling Stones could come up with an idea for a song and record it like that day, and it's awesome. Um, not every time. And, but Leonard Cohen 
painstakingly went over that song. And then the sort of irony is that everybody remembers the Jeff Buckley version instead of his version. But well, it's funny you say that because I did. I deliberately left off songs where the covers are now more famous. Like I, you know, we could have done. I could have done "Respect" by Aretha Franklin. I could have done. Um, uh, like you said, Hallelujah, All Along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix. Those songs have now become their own things. They're that almost was, not yeah, covers anymore, you know, you know, which isn't yeah, fair. I know. I, that's so funny. You know, you and I, unfortunately, think the same pathetic way we think about things like this. But that was going to be my other rule that I mentioned. I mean, we each applied our own rules here. There were no rules, right? But one of my right. rules was if the if the cover version is so much bigger than the original version that you're kind of like, oh, really? That was a cover song? Then uh, I, I left it off my list. Uh, Tainted Love by Soft Cell. You know, that's a exactly. cover song. Uh, Twist and Shout by the Beatles technically is a cover song. But, yeah. And and, and the same with the uh, Jimi Hendrix song you just mentioned and blah, right. blah, blah. Yeah. And it's okay. not fair because they are covers, but I think you and I agree. We're trying to. And, yeah, Hall- to- I, guess, I guess Hallelujah might fall into that category. Yeah. That's that's specifically why I left it on the honorable mention list with yep. those other two songs. But yep. so my next two songs are straight R and B remakes of amazing pop songs that uh, become beauties of their own, and you've heard both of them most likely. Okay. Um, my my third is um, Stevie Wonder's version of the Beatles' "We Can Work It Out." On my honorable mention list. Good call. It uh, it turns that tune into, you know, the Beatles version is just a, a pop kind of um, love song. When Stevie takes it, it becomes this pleading, urgent, almost dark yeah. like, begging of, you know, we could do this. And just the soulfulness just oozes out of that song. And it's hard to remake a Beatles song and yeah. make it better. This and the next one may have done that because my my number three version is also a Beatles remake by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Got to get you Ooh. into my life. Very, yeah, very similar uh, uh, sort of takes on Beatles songs. Yeah, um, and that's both, why both I, that's why I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't decide between them, so yeah. I just added okay. both of them. I love the anytime either of those songs come on, especially their Thrown in Fire, I, I turn the radio up. I yep. mean, that's there's no other way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And my number one uh, cover song. Um, is a pure reinvention that not only reinvented the song itself, but actually reinvigorated the band that produced the original version of that song. And you know where I'm going. I guess. Am I close? Am I close? (laughs) Oh, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like, has to be on Mount Rushmore's of everybody. I left it off my list intentionally because I knew you would put it on. And it's almost like... It's almost like a, a, it's in its own category. Yeah, because you're right. It's the, the there was nothing wrong with "Walk This Way" by Aerosmith, but not at all. Yeah, but um, to and then 
the way they did it and including the music video was just genius. Just genius. Everything. I mean, a little silly, but genius. Go ahead. You, you talk. It's your pick. No, you know, I mean, you know what it's all about. I mean, you're taking a classic rock and roll song. And this was at the point where rap and hip hop music were still a little bit fringe. And they figured out a way. Run DMC defined themselves as a rock rap hybrid, but they never did it more directly and aggressively as they did here. And they turned this rock and roll song and brought it into what was then the 80s and kicking and screaming into, you know, the new world of music. And what people don't remember now looking back, Aerosmith as a band was basically dead. Yeah. They hadn't recorded hit music for years. Mm -hmm. And this song not only became Run DMC's biggest hit, and I remember hearing it on the radio for the first time and immediately running out and buying Raising Hell that day, the album that was on. Yep. I just, I just remember just getting like you, just so pumped up about what it represented. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, to their credit, Aerosmith capitalized on it, yeah. and it reinvented them as a relevant band. Now they didn't make anything like this before. They didn't make rap music moving forward, but they realized, wait a minute, if we can make, if we can remake our bluesy rock pop sort of model, there are listeners who want it, and all of a sudden. Yep. It turned a tired band and an up-and-coming band into two superstars. <laughs> and I love that. I love um, that song. I'm I laughing because this is what's great about our friendship because the, the to the argument, and there are shades of gray here, but to the argument as to whether Run DMC revived Aerosmith's dead career. We had this we had this argument in 1989 and now we're going to have it again, <laughs> which is Aerosmith really funny. Aerosmith was dead. Yeah, but, they were dead. But it's not as if walked the, Okay, so maybe it sort of woke them up, but it's not the albums they came out with in the late 80s, um Permanent Vacation, Get a Grip, and there was a third one there that I'm forgetting its name. But it, it started with uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady and then they had then the um, that amazing album that I, I want to say get, get pump pump okay pump was the one in the middle which was probably the best of the lot you yeah and, my favorite you and by I, far you and I went to see them on that tour and they they just blew our faces off right remember they could come out singing the young lust song that you like so much it was awesome right and in other Absol- words absolutely in other words I mean, that that wasn't necessarily influenced by Run DMC but maybe it sort of uh, woke them up. Uh, or woke, woke them out of their drug-induced haze. Uh, Tyler and Perry were were uh, were by their story anyway out of rehab by that point, and that's why they succeeded after that because they got off the drugs. But who knows? And they, look, and they 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 came out with "Love Is an Elevator" almost like within a year or something. I mean, they capitalized on it right, right away, and they were and they were a great band, a legendary band. They were done, and I still they were dead. You're they right would about not, that. Yeah. They they would not have made. The relevant comeback they did because they became cool again because remember even right. when hair metal was taking off they were old compared yep. to the rest of those bands run dmc made them relevant to a younger generation and all of a sudden they're cool they get to put alicia silverstone in their videos without being creepy somehow the next thing you know aerosmith <laughs> is back yeah well i think i might have even been watching the super bowl with you one year where aerosmith did one of those compilation, what do you call it, collaborations w- with Britney Spears, of all people. And so Britney is on stage. Oh, not to mention NSYNC was up there, too. What what a possible cacophony. <laughs> but they're singing Walk This Way, and Britney Spears is kind of singing back up on Walk This Way. And I, I don't know, maybe it was you or a different friend of mine I turned to, I said, 
this is a historic moment. It it marks um, it it makes Steven Tyler even more of a legend because now he's banged women born in five separate decades. It's just a, a theory I had. Hello, <laughs> is this thing on? <laughs> what? It, it's on. I'm trying not to talk over you. <laughs> okay, I always uh, do. All right, so all right, so, we, so those are my that's my list, and uh, okay. you know we'll make a Spotify playlist for it. But I want to hear yours. Okay, here's mine. I'm going to play a little clip from each, and then we can discuss. I'm going to start with the weirdest and most obscure. Um, Eh, maybe not obscure, but unexpected. So take a listen. See if you recognize the song. Is this the station? You got it. You got it. So I'm going to take it down. Um... So yeah, I say this is a little bit of a weird choice, or maybe a lot of a weird choice, because it's a, it's a band that only existed for two albums, I think, the Power Station. It was Robert Palmer and uh, two of the dudes from Duran Duran. I believe it was the the Taylor Brothers from Duran Duran. I'm not up on my Power Station history. Anyway, yeah, they, you're they, right. They cover uh, "Get It On Bang a Gong," which is the old T Rex song, and it's it was a cla- it, it was to me. Uh, you know, if you like '80s music, this was '80s. It was, it was flashy and dashy. It was, it was, uh, you know, turn up the treble, and and then it it was this new era of um, Robert Palmer. Um, I don't know if he had the Robert Palmer girls in this video, but for a while he was like one of the hottest guys in rock and roll, right? And this song, it just if you like drums and just kind of not much substance but a hell of a lot of style just like a crazy drum solo and there you go that's my first pick yeah actually i you know when that song came out i didn't i didn't love it but i i started to like it they the other guy in the band was um the drummer for chic um tony thompson, tony thompson was in that yeah. right exactly he, which yeah. he he was just legendary yeah but i when that band came out it was the first time that i realized that john taylor the bassist yep was actually kind of amazing yeah you know i i duran duran was was so sort of poppy and and you know their videos were what made their noise this the power station came out that song made me realize wait a minute that guy can play yeah and next thing i know i sort of started to appreciate the duran duran catalog a little bit more so give them that sometimes right. you know a, a cover song can make you appreciate sort of from whence they came but anyway right All right, so this is—it's it's almost like an homage to all of Van Halen's cover songs, but you really got me. Obviously, covering the Kink song, I didn't include "Eruption" at the beginning because that's actually not a cover. But I loved Van Halen. Anytime they covered a song, I was in because they—in each case—they kicked up, they took a rock and roll song and made it into this shiny heavy metal version of it. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, your they, thoughts they did melt. the same with with uh, with Pretty Woman, right? Um, dancing in the streets. Ice Cream Man, even Ice Ice Cream Man was yeah. and Dancing in the Streets. Yep. They're all remakes. And what made Van Halen great was they on these covers was you know they obviously made the driving guitar the the key to it, but also there was a little bit of camp in oh, what yeah. David yeah. a little bit maybe a lot of what yeah. David Lee Roth did, which I think sets off nicely against that 
hardcore rock yep. and roll, and it becomes just fun. Regardless. God, I, mi- I miss. Don't you miss that? Don't you miss that? Because uh, if I you take if so you, you take a band like the Who, which nothing wrong with the Who, I'll, I'll listen to the Who. I, I a couple weeks ago I saw a Who uh, tribute band, which was half half decent, and really enjoyed it. But did Roger Daltrey have a sense of humor? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, no, no. like, would he ever, you know, wink and smile? I mean, he might smile. I mean, he wasn't a robot. He wasn't a horrible guy or anything. But he was just, he was Mr. Rock and Roll. Would, would Robert Plant ever do a little wink or wear a funny costume on stage? No, it that was something that, was that something David Lee Roth invented? I mean, kind of. I, I mean, he did invent, I feel like, the vaudeville part of yeah. hard rock. And I don't think anybody's done it any better. I, I miss those guys. I really uh, do. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, my next song comes from someone who's been beat up a lot recently. I'm going to give him a little bit of a lift. Is it too soon? Is it too soon? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we just say we I have know. to wait a little while? <laughs> I know. I couldn't help myself. It's one of my favorite cover songs ever. So uh, Michael Jackson's version of Come Together, which which a lot of people would have put the, the Aerosmith version of Come Together on this list. But to me, the Aerosmith version was great, but maybe a little too close to the, the Beatles version. And... If you've ever seen this this music video of my, okay, so now I need to put all the whole uh, uh, Neverland. What's it called? Lo- leaving Neverland. Leaving Neverland. Leaving Neverland. I need to put that aside. We discussed that on a previous pod. I'm gonna do do my best, and listeners, I invite you to join me in just talking about his music just for a minute because we're on this subject. Uncomfortable. This, <laughs> I know this seemed like a good idea when I put it on the list. But when I saw th- there's a music video to the to this song of him performing live, and women are swooning and just kind of dying. And but he, th- there's uh, if you listen to this this version of the song, not only is it put uh, a cool Michael Jackson spin on the song, but in the middle, the the guitar solo is just awesome. And like in the video, that's when Michael dances. And okay, so there you go. I'm finding it slightly difficult to put the words Michael Jackson oh, and come together in one sentence. All right. I have, uh, let's move on then. We'll clear. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, you will enjoy the way this next song, uh, cleanses the palate. Here we go. You give me that funny feeling in my tummy. So it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers version of Love Roller Coaster, and you probably thought I was going to go with a different cover song performed by the Chili Peppers. I am shocked. I thought that was going to land on your list. I thought that was going to land on your list, actually. Higher ground. It was on my list. I didn't add it there, but I I was fully expecting you to have higher ground right up there. And I... And I think Higher Ground is a better remake. So well, I'm curious what your take is. It it, it probably is, it, like to most people. And I, it's not like I can make an argument. It, I mean, you know, this is these are what songs you like, so whatever. But this this song has always had. I just thought the song was cool, and and Love Roller Coaster was like one of those 
old, like uh, almost like staticky seventies rock songs. You know, who did love the roller coaster? The OJ's or somebody like that? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And so, and here comes um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I just and it it was. Um, I don't hold it against the song, but I think it it came to prominence when it was on the Beavis and Butthead movie soundtrack because there's a music video of the Red Hot Chili Peppers in an animated form with Beavis and Butthead singing "Love Roller Coaster." I just always love this one. I just so <laughs> "Kaya Grounds" an awesome song. I'll listen to the the um, Chili Peppers version or the Stevie Wonder version, but um, th- this has always been kind of my pet favorite, the "Love Roller Coaster" by. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. Most of your list tends to lean towards the um, the hard uh, amplification of rhythmy songs, where mine, yeah. although down in the corners, very is is exactly that. The rest of my list sort of does it the other way. They they add a little bit more R and B and soul right. to traditional pop songs. But and you they, know what? They both do the same things. And I have one left, and it'll it'll continue to fall into that category. Oh, but yeah, but it, it I'll, I'll play it right now. But it but it occurs to me that neither one of us went a route that you could go, and that is acoustic versions of you know Ooh. like like you know. Cowboy Junkies doing Sweet Jane. I don't know if that's the mm-hmm. consummate example, but um, someone, I think John Legend did Dancing in the Dark, the Bruce Springsteen song, and it sounds great, but it's super, super slowed down. Mine and yours are both, although we picked sort of different genres, they're both sort of amped up versions of this, right? Yeah, no, that's yeah. a good point. What's yeah. your number one? Here it is. Give me a little bit of volume on this. So again, I went out of my way to be obscure on this one. So this is Guns N' Roses. It's not the most famous Guns N' Roses song. It's probably not even the most famous Guns N' Roses cover. Actually, it's definitely not the most famous Guns N' Roses cover song because that would be Knocking on Heaven's Door. And Mama and, Kin, uh, Mama Kin might even be in there. And Live and Let Die. Oh, and Live and Let Die. Holy cow, yeah. So this might even be the fourth most famous <laughs> Guns uh, cover song. Jeez, did they write any songs? So many cover songs, for crying out loud. Uh, so that's Hair of the Dog, originally by, I want to say, Nazareth, the old uh, heavy metal band, um, called Hair of the Dog, and the refrain of the song is what's most memorable. Now you're messing with the son of a bitch. I just love the way he just kicked this song's ass. It was after their huge album, Appetite for Destruction. This was on that Spaghetti Incident album that was mostly forgettable, but this one song, I just I loved it so much. I remember my brother Adam, who was a Guns N' Roses freak, like calling me on the phone one day and, and, and saying, you're not going to believe what Guns N' Roses just did. They covered that song. So there you go. Big fan, big fan. And I, I, I completely forgot about that song. So yeah. nicely done, nicely but, done. Do you want to add a, a couple real quick honorable mentions, like even like... Just kind of stream of consciousness. I'm thinking of well, like yeah, I, mean, uh, I had. What do you got? I had put. I had higher ground on that list. Yep. Um, this is a little mellow, but um, <laughs> I just have a thing for George Benson's version of On Broadway. Do you yeah. know that song? <laughs> of course, I know the song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he took a '50s doo-wop song and made it into sort of an R&B classic. I yeah. think um, I had um, those three classics before. I was talking about. Um, you know, Respect by by Aretha Franklin is probably the greatest pure remake of all time. But but that's another, um, we don't know the original, right? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Otis Redding, you know, she just made it an entire, she made it a female empowerment song, which was 
total reinvention of what it was originally. So you have to, you have to admire that, but, um, we're forgetting a couple of, uh, big time classics. Um, uh, how about the bangles wider shade of pale? That's That's a pretty, that's a pretty big hit, right? Yeah, that was a great one. Um, here, you got another one. I got three more, but they're not, they're not necessarily great, but, uh, Mrs. Robinson by the Lemonheads. I like that as a contrast to the Simon Yeah, they, it was a little similar, but you're right. That added some 90s kind of edge to it. Right. Uh, smooth. Well, what about Killing Me Softly by the Fugees? That's a good one. That's a critic's choice right there. I was going to say Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm, which was, you know, it's okay. Yeah. But yeah. then we're forgetting one that, although we've now heard it so many freaking times, we're probably tired of it, but at the time, it was a big thing. And that's uh, Billy Idol doing Tommy James and the Shondells, Money Money. Come on, right? Right? Good call. That's Thank a good you. call. Thank that's you. That's a very good call. That for those, there's a lot more. I mean, yeah, we could go on I'm sure hours, you're right. But. but if you didn't, grow, if you weren't old like me and Milton, and you didn't grow up in the '80s, uh, was that not played at every? I don't know. Bar mitzvah, prom, wedding around those times, you know. Oh God, yeah, right? to the point that I I don't necessarily like it anymore. Yeah, you that's what, what I'm saying. I don't necessarily want to listen to it right now, but at the time it was, you know. Billy but what's I, interesting? Billy it's had not mind. that's it's not all that different from the original. It's just oh yes, it is. Well, well, I don't know that uh, that the when you hear that opening, it's just I don't know. It sounds different. Uh, Tommy James and the Shondells is there's nothing wrong with that version of the song either. They used to play it at the Patriots games when they sucked, um, and we enjoyed it. But uh, the he, cover def- that, he, he Billy Idolized it, right? Didn't he? Yeah. The cover that everybody, especially critics, love now. Oh, I know is it's you. The, the Johnny Cash um, remake of the Nine Inch Nails song "Hurt." You know that song? Yes. Yes. I'm not, you know, I have to admit, I, it, that song never captured me the way it captured everybody else. When I listen to that song, I know people find deep meaning in it, that it's Johnny Cash sort of, sort of interpreting it based on his own pain of his own life. I just kind of hear, I, I almost feel like the producer, Rick Rubin, sort of handed him the song and said, here, sing this. Yeah. And I don't hear, I don't hear the emotion in it that everybody else seems to hear. Maybe it's just my ears aren't attuned to it. Yeah. I don't hear the emotion that I hear when I hear Tom Jones sing Kiss by Prince. Oh, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, although I love that. I love the original so much. I almost can't. Yeah. I can't accept it. But yeah, I hear you. Before we go, we're forgetting maybe one we should have mentioned right at the top. Right at the top. May I remind you of the theme to the television show Wonder Years? Oh, I wrote Joe Cocker down. How yeah. did I? It's not on. Um, Get your act together. I count on you for things like that. You used, that you, you love that song. Me. Yeah, that's that's. That's one of your all-time favorites, isn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a classic. Yeah, uh, and they, yeah, I mean, again, it, the Beatles seem to lend itself well to to cover songs for some reason. Yeah, but he definitely ad- made the white man's soul version of that, and that, it's kind of hard to beat. Kind of hard. That's to beat. right, and that is one. There may be more that we're forgetting. That I think I would rather listen to that version than the Beatles version. Right? I mean. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because it is almost a throwaway song when the Beatles did it, and he made it epic. It, yeah, he showed you what you could do with it. And case in point, I um, I have an uncle who is very, uh, I love him. He's my rock and roll mentor. He's still into heavy metal sometimes. I've told you about him. You've met him, Uncle John. You've been on, on, on rock and roll excursions with Uncle John. 
and Uncle John. Uncle John. And we went to a rock and roll festival. <laughs> this is sad. A heavy metal festival a few years back in Virginia. I think that's where it was. Anyway, uh, Tom Kiefer was playing. So Tom Kiefer is the former lead singer of Cinderella on his own. You wouldn't think a virtuoso, but the guy has genuine talent that was probably overlooked in Cinderella. He did a version of A Little Help from My Friends. Um, mimicking sort of the Joe Cocker version. Can I tell you, it was all, it was the highlight of the night. Really? Yep. Yep. All you I can... hear is Cinderella here. Shake me. <laughs> Shake me all night. It's not. It's no, not. I just hurt my throat. Don't sleep on gyps, <laughs> gypsy. <laughs> Thank Look you. What just happened? Thank God, you. Uh, don't sleep on Gypsy Road when it comes to uh, Cinderella. I think I'll do. Okay. Uh, Cinderella, by the way, was my favorite hair metal band outside of Guns N' Roses. So, and Van Halen doesn't count. They they were pre hair metal. But anyway, go ahead. What? Uh, hello, I, the fans of uh, Motley Crue and Poison are knocking at my door right now. They, no, they want your Cinderella head. They want your head band. on a stake. We're gonna have to talk about the uh, Motley Crue uh, biopic. Have you seen it? We'll talk about no, it. No, actually, I, that's on my list. You know, maybe uh, yeah. by next week, you and I all have both seen it. And we'll Watch see if it, it belongs on good things because I don't know. It might not. Uh, it'll belong on good things and bad things at the same time. How's that for a teaser? Ooh. Yeah. So bad. So that'll do it. Then. So bad it's good. That's my my uh, one word review, one phrase review. Uh, all right. So, Milt, uh, thanks for checking in, pal. Um, it was a little bit of everything. Some actually good. We laughed. We cried. We uh, head banged, and now my throat hurts. And we had an awkward Michael Jackson exchange, which should be a tradition on Enemy Lines and the Boston Podcast. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Are You Not Entertained? The was I and um, the am I entertained? Can I start that again? Sorry. <laughs> am I entertained? I did it again. <laughs> Dumbass. Are you entertained? Ah! All right. Sorry. Sorry. It's Ed Nathanson. I'm here to give you the podcast that I've always wanted to do. That's talking about movies. That's talking about music, sports, pop culture. That's talking to some of the best people in employer branding around the world. Are you not entertained? Can I start that again? So um, we uh, so here we are. Uh, spring has sprung, and one of the Patriots greats has retired. Um, as we record this, it was I got the news yesterday on a Sunday, and uh, Gronk, um, thanks for the memories, pal. You big lug, you big machine, um, and you know what? It was the right time for him to go, in my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts were, your gut reaction. Did you or were you surprised by this? No, you know, in a weird way, you know, I'm kind of pouring one out for Gronk also. Thank right? you. We I mean, appreciate that. He's one of those j- weird athletes that no matter how good he is, mm-hmm. you know, how how much he tortures your your favorite team, you can't hate the guy. You, yeah. It's almost impossible to hate the guy. He yeah. He sort of represents the opposite of what we think the Patriots are, this robotic, cold. True supermodel marrying machine that uh, you wouldn't want to go out and have a beer with. You know what I mean? Right. Overdressed, no. over formal. Gronk's just just a dude. Just a massive, a dude. cool dude. Yeah, he doesn't marry supermodels. He just bangs porn stars, apparently. <laughs> but can oh, you blame point. him? Can you blame him, Milt? But uh, he, here's my question for you. Um Gronk and Jeremy Shockey, similar similar styles of play, maybe skim- similar skill sets. Is that fair to say? Oh, Gronk. Gronk 
If you're about to make a comparison, there. I mean, I get this. There is no comparison. <laughs> well, my I no, mean, my compare, my compare, my question was just if the roles were reversed and they were on different teams. What, what, if they, if Gronk came up to the Giants system and Shockey came up to the Patriots system, would the results have been the same? No. Okay. Ele- Tom Brady. I mean, we we all know the Patriots and and Belichick. Now, look, they yeah, you could the, do it with Tom Brady too, for sure. But the um, Brady, the Brady Gronk thing, it, it would not. It, the Manning Gronk connection would not have been the same. I just don't think so. I think there was just a. Yeah. A magic bond between those two. And, you know, what's what's amazing about Gronk is I don't know if you had a chance to read any of the statistics about the guy. You know, he's finishing in the top, you know, 5, 10, 15 of all these tight end categories. But he did it in like half the games right. as all the other tight ends in those categories. He literally was dominant. And yeah. as a Jets fan, it, oops, something just crashed in my studio. That's my dog. You know, there's just. As it didn't a sound fan, like a dog, did. but go ahead. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> It, you know, you, you had to just sort of tip your cap and realize, you know, there are moments as frustrating as you are in the moment that you realize, well, this guy's just a machine. He's unstoppable, yeah. absolutely unstoppable. And you had to admire it. Well, um, what, what made him great also, in a matter of speaking, led to his career being, pro- I don't know if cut short is the word. I mean, compared to most, the, the, the average NFL player, I suppose his career was probably longer than most, but it's shorter than a lot of us would like. It's a lot shorter than... Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates, I assume. I don't have the, that info in front of me, but but he always the the the, the one sort of um, negative of rooting for Gronk was it always felt like he was this close to being injured, and it's just his 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 body type because he he had these like sort of spindly legs, and then everything from the waist up is just rock, you know. And so it, it allowed him to, like, kick out of tackles. You know, there are a lot of those highlights of him. He he might catch the ball in traffic, and then all of a sudden his legs get wheeling around like Wiley e. Coyote, and then off he goes. But it also meant he was kind of top-heavy. So if you kind of caught him, his legs could go at a weird angle, and then the full weight of all that bulk crushes down, and ouch. And he was underrated as a blocker. Remember, remember what the tight end sure, yeah. position was supposed to be. I mean, this is he's supposed to be a guy that can – Anchor both an offensive line and a uh, and a receiving core, and he he did both. I mean, he, and that's only going to get more injury, you know, related over time when he's yep. not only sort of crashing into defensive backs trying to make a catch, but also you know bumping up against gigantic offensive linemen. The guy, I mean, took blow after blow after blow, and eventually, you know, the acrobats have to stop. Yeah. The thing I'm actually going to miss the most on a personal level about Gronk is that moment in every fantasy football draft where you're wondering where the hell Gronk <laughs> is going to go. Because that was that's the thing that hung over every single fantasy yeah. draft every year. Yeah. How soon does Gronk go? Because there were know, years. the quandary with him yeah. was that he was so head over heels above anybody else as his position statistically and expectations – but the the dread of injury. Yep. He would have been a first if you could guarantee that Gronk was going to be healthy for the year. He was not just a first round pick. He could arguably a top five pick because of the never, way he dominated his position. Right. Yeah. You can't. But you couldn't count on it. So so yeah. uh, there were years when he might have went in the first round. But usually he was like. Uh, Usually it wouldn't last beyond the second round because someone just couldn't take it anymore. And they're like, I'll take him. That's exactly. You know? exa- yeah. And I, I, in all my years of fantasy football, I never had Gronk because I never wanted to be that guy. Yep. But boy, it, when it would swing around you to the second round, if he was still there, it was, 
really, really tempting. I just I, never yeah. succumbed to temptation. And I think know, I had him. Good. I think I had him twice, and I was frustrated both years. I had him because because <laughs> like then you know you you he would go out for stretches and and then he'd be kind of iffy for certain games. Some games they wouldn't really use him. But uh, yeah, if you caught him on the right run, he was needless to say he was total yeah. difference maker. He would literally just you know make your season. But so, but I never had him. So I never had that Gronk love where he gave me my fantasy football championship. But again, yeah. you got to pour one out to you know what like it's almost it's Rivera without Mariano Rivera without the um, longevity. You yeah. know, you just recognize. Look, he's the best that ever played his position. You got to admire that and. Uh, Thank and, God. And, yeah, and somehow managed somehow managed to be a goofball. And if um, yeah, as long as he wasn't beating your team, it was fun to watch some of the histrionics. Like there was a uh, Colts player who was annoying him the whole game, and so Gronk famously like blew this guy out on a block. The Patriots runner runs the ball into the end zone for a touchdown, and Gronk just keeps blocking the guy right through the end zone, like <laughs> practically into the stands. And they and and drew a flag, which was I think assessed on the kickoff. Who cares? But they he they asked him afterwards and Gronk said, Yeah, it was time for that guy to get thrown out of the bar. Like he was he had, had enough of that guy. There's also it's like the blind side, right? He's like is the real life version of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, a man child just like uh Michael Orr. And but um and then the other one I just noticed, I had forgotten about this, but he <laughs> he he had one horrible taunting moment which which if I was the other team I'd wanna just um destroy him was it was a Steelers player that he kind of beat, up, jumped, jumps up, touchdown, and then he turns around. The Steelers player is on the ground. Not only does he taunt him, but he gives him like almost like he's shaking his head towards him, almost like a cartoon character going, <laughs> you know, and, then, and then just spikes the ball. <laughs> like couldn't have humiliated the guy worse. And uh, which you should hate, you know, yeah. you which you should hate, right? But you again, you kind of know his story, right. and it and it just he. He maintained a lovability until he was beating the shit out of your team. Right. And then you weren't so happy about yeah. it. Yes. Look, and, you know, what a way to go out. Not only does he win the Super Bowl, but that that catch he made on um, what turned out to be sort of the game-winning drive. What was it, like a 28-yard catch that yeah. set up? It was like the only highlight of the game, practically. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he was yeah. a non-factor. And I, I don't know if we had talked about it. I had the sneaky suspicion that Belichick was trying to bury Gronk for the playoff run to try to just surprise people yeah. that you know, he was still around. Yep. He kind of disappeared yep. until that catch, and you were like, well, there he is, yep. right? Well, um, same, same thing. Him. Yeah, same thing in the, if memory serves, in the AFC Championship game when they really needed it. He caught... Um, I think it was a fourth down play, and I remember Brady putting it up and me going, "Oh my god!" and and Gronk, came, yeah, that's what it was because he he um he almost was a shared the the goat role, and I, by goat I mean bad kind of goat when we used to use the word that way mm-hmm. with Brady because if you recall, it was it was kind of do or die for the Pats. Brady throws an out to Gronk. He has it go off his hands, intercepted by the Kansas City player, and that's when the guy was called for offsides and the Patriots live again and he goes right back to Gronk down the sideline. So um, unbelievable. It's cool. Yeah. I'm glad he got to, to be a, a, a key role. Cause the last couple years it was always, he was always just like a bonus. Like if we get anything out of Gronk, it's a bonus, you know, cause he's just got more brittle and brittle. So this, this tells you everything you need to know. Yep. Retired, broken down Gronk 
yeah. would be the greatest tight end in New York Jets history. <laughs> like we, we would, if, if the Jets could sign him tomorrow, he would literally go down as our greatest tight end of all time. I can't think. You've never really had a good, because you've had good players at other positions, running back and wide oh, out. And, and we've drafted tight ends in the first fucking round, <laughs> and usually they're cut in year three. So, you know, you got, you got at least... Oh, that was the one. That was the one that when it led to Mel Kuyper's soundbite that they ran constantly when the ESPN promoted their coverage of the NFL draft. It was Mel Kuyper saying, "This just goes once again to show you the Jets have no idea what they're doing in the draft." That, <laughs> that was the tight exactly, end. Who was that? It was. Was that John? It was either Johnny Mitchell that year, or yeah. it, well, actually, Mitchell might have been late, or later than that. I don't know. But we'll we go look dra- that up. I don't know. Yeah. But it was a tight yeah. end, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Dustin Keller, you know, we Johnny Mitchell, we draft a lot of tight ends early and they never they never pan out. But yep. anyway, Sayonara, Gronk. Thanks for the memories. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, we move on, right? All right, baseball. You're still basking in the glory of your 14 to 1 victory in spring training. Grapefruit League play, <laughs> Yankees over Red Sox. By the way, I went back and looked at it. It is the exact same score as the the playoff game in Yankee Stadium when Brock Holt famously hit for the cycle. Really? And yet it was 14 to uh, 1. Yeah. Reversed. And yet it's a harbinger of things to come. And I just used the word harbinger, <laughs> possibly mispronounced. Yeah. Harbinger makes uh, speakers and audio equipment whenever I see one. I, I it's 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 one of those expressions that when I see Harbinger on a speaker, I think of things to come should be written on the back of it. They always go together. Harbinger of things to come. Yep. Look, it's opening day this week. I am psyched. Shit, it snuck up on um, me. I, well, I know, right? Yeah. But it, I mean, you know, I've got concerns mm-hmm. about um, what's happening here. Like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that the Yankees are going into the season strongly but um i noticed you have high hopes i noticed i picked up a sports illustrated as i will do when i get my hair cut at great clips not a sponsor of the show yet but they have not only do they have uh the red sox uh lower than the yankees they have the red sox third behind the astros and the yankees how about that Oh, behind the Astros. I thought you meant yeah. in the AL East. I was going to be shocked. No, just the AL because they're right. They're not in the so same. That, I think that's I think that's an entirely possible, all dependent on the uh, the bullpen. Uh, you know, you just you still. Yeah, then that's what they pointed to. Yeah. Without a, it's one thing to not go in with a closer, which is questionable. But you're going in with just a whole bunch of question marks in your bullpen and I don't, you know, your your lineup is the best in the league. You will score a shit ton of runs. Your rotation is very quietly, possibly the best in the league. But if you're going to blow games late because sinker. you're throwing Hector Velasquez and Tyler Thornburg out there, it just seems like you're rolling the dice. But at the same time, how many games did the Red Sox win last year? In one oh eight, right? Playoff, in, oh, including, including the playoff, talking about like you know one sixteen or something, a like shit that. ton. Yes. Yes, you can't do much better than that. So they they must have just said. Well, Kimbrel, well, Kimbrel was a big part of that, but uh, I don't, I, I don't know. Kimbrel's still unsigned, right? I think that's Sun, mysterious. Well, maybe, you know, but the Red Sox have been so publicly clear that they are going in without a closer, and the Braves are sniffing around Kimbrel, which would be a little bit of a reunion of sorts. There was yeah. a Yankee writer that said, "Here's our chance. Let's sign him up." You know, which would be ludicrous and is never going to happen 
Right. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you know the Red Sox swoops, swooped in with a low um, annual. It'll be a high annual value, but a low number of years deal to sign him. But it just doesn't seem like they have any interest. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're looking at it like. The, a bullpen is something that can be a work in progress, and if it's a complete disaster in April, then they'll start making moves. That's but one writer, this should give you serious pause. Dombrowski has a history, wherever he's been, of ignoring his bullpen. Mm. Year after year after year, Dombrowski teams have the worst bullpens in the league, among the top three or four worst bullpens, which is bizarre because if you think about bullpens, you can reinvent them on the fly. Yeah, you know, you put a guy in middle relief. All of a sudden, he's a, a a stud closer. He doesn't he doesn't care. That's what it seems like. Yeah, and it could be one of those things that he he thinks you well because uh, the if his statistically his bullpens have been weak, um, that would reflect the entire course of a season, and maybe he thinks it's more of a second season. Th- I don't know, but but clearly they uh, are just kind of making this up on the fly and who the hell knows i don't it's know it's all about what is it barnes and and uh brazier ryan ryan brazier and they yep. you know they have good numbers so yep. maybe they're ready but you know one to seven one to eight depth dude mm-hmm. i I'd, I'd be worried if i were you but that you know what last year i said i you should be worried about your lack of power and then look what happened so yep fuck me. by Whatever. the way bart <laughs> barnes and brazier should be a uh, like a kentucky barbecue place yeah, or a large no, barn. No, don't Barnes and Brazier because you know you get you're in the barn and, and it's a like you're you're burning something or something. Brazing, you're brazing, you're brazing the ribs and as you, people will do, I suppose. You also <laughs> you also said the bullpen should give me serious pause. I think sh- serious pause would be the good name for a folk rock band with a lot of, with a very you know like, welcome. Hey, you're gonna love what you hear today from serious. Pause, and uh, Actually, there you go. Rock and roll band that's called Serious Pause, but P A W S. Not really. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that. No, we're we're uh, we're blowing this all together. It's 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 the name of a, a pet shop. Serious Pause. Oh, is it really? No, it should be. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's the definitive answer. Come on right, down ding, to Serious Pause. Give Scraps a home. Look at them. Well, listen, getting okay. back to baseball. Yes, here we go. I wanted, yes. I wanted to do something here because, you know, okay. rather than run through our lineups in, in its entirety, I just want to talk about our general feelings about players on each other's team. So I got a list of four very, very basic categories, and I want you okay. to tell me who on the Yankees, and I will tell you who on the Red Sox, kind of meets this definition. Okay. Um, let's, let's start, you know, with an easy one. You know, it's um, – it's a, a one-game playoff. Let's just say, uh, you know, we're tied at the end of the season. It's one-game playoff. Oh, shades uh, of 78. Thanks for bringing that exactly. up. We're in yeah. Fenway. Let's just put it that way. Your pitcher's on the mound, two outs, bottom of the ninth, runner on second base. Who do you dread coming up to bat for the New York Yankees? Um. Paul O'Neill, I hated that guy. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm relaxed. Jeez, Paul O'Neill, man. You know, Paul O'Neill might be the most polarizing Yankee in terms of the end to ends. Like Yankee fans love him with such a passion, and every non-Yankee fan on the planet hates him with equal passion. Yeah. So in a sense, he is a perfect zero. He is absolute zero. Mm Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I he's the kind of guy that I loved him if he was on my fantasy team, and in general, I hated him because he was always bitching about everything as it seemed. Right, right. Anyway, so this one, uh, I want to come up with something creative, but it's Judge. I mean, he's just good. Like, and every time I root against him, he always seems to come back. He bounces back from injuries. He's uh, it seems like he can hit for for power, but also can make a ton of contact when he needs to. Uh, I guess runner-up would have been Sanchez, but you don't have anybody that's annoyingly good. I'm not saying you don't have a good lineup, but th- there's no, there's not like a punch and Judy guy that I just can't stand seeing up there. So that's my answer for that one, Judge. Yeah, the only thing I'd say about Judge is that you always get the possibility of a whiff. You know, yeah. he he's a free swinger, so you get the right guy on the mound. Maybe you can take him down, but he also is the kind of guy that can almost miss hit the ball and still hit it out of the park. So yeah, I get that. Yep. So on my end, this on is your sort end. of on Go my ahead. end. This is like the um, David Ortiz Memorial Award because yeah. that was the guy. It didn't matter what situation was. I knew he was just going to beat the shit out of us. Yep. Um, well, for us, it was Jeter. It, by the way, we we would retire that in Jeter's name. And it was talk about Jeter yeah. in a little bit. So hold okay. that thought. Right. But you know, I, in terms of sheer numbers, Mookie Betts and JD Martinez ripped the crap out of the Yankees last right. year. Right. Like, Betts had an OPS of like just under 1.2 against the Yankees, which is just insane. But right. I have an interest. The guy I hated the most last year mm-hmm. was Steve fucking Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know what yeah. Steve Pierce did against the rest of the league. Right. But he definitely hit over 300 against the Yankees. And it just seemed like he hit the ball out of the park every single time he played us. And it was always in a moment that mattered. It was never in some 10-1 blowout where he just was getting garbage time home runs. Yep. Steve Pierce bothers me, and I can't figure out why. Well, it's 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 also like a, a guy, if a guy like, you know, David Ortiz or Mookie Betts beats you, it's like, well, they are the best. So it's like, what do you expect? Like, you, you can only get them out so many times. Uh, it's when it comes from unexpected sources, right? So, like Pierce, That's it. Pierce was brought to the Red Sox with pretty little fanfare, you know, midseason acquisition, like a spare part who can maybe get a clutch hit or two. It turns out he's like this postseason hero. He's like he'll never buy another beer in Boston, you know. I just looked it up. Steve Pierce last year against the Yankees hit three oh eight with five home runs and fourteen RBI in like half the at bats that most of the regulars in the Boston lineup had. Like, for example, Betts, who was monstrous against the Yankees with that 1-2 OPS, yep. he had four home runs. Right. He hit 380, but whatever. So Pierce just, I don't I don't like that guy. I don't want to see him because <laughs> you're actually right. He's the guy you come up and says, well, at least we got through the studs. Yeah. And then Steve Pierce lines a double into the gap or hits one over the monster and then, uh, yeah. It was like, no, uh, to, I don't want to. To give like you him. a... Uh, a throwback comment um, when Dennis Eckersley was at his uh, tail end of his tenure with the Red Sox, his first tenure, his second one was just like a cup of coffee when he was old, but uh, starting pitcher for the Red Sox and last couple of seasons, he was just miserable, which is why they shipped him out of town. And after a particularly bad day, he said, I got to, I got to stop giving up home runs to banjo hitters like Rance Mullinix. And then <laughs> next series, next series, like first at bat, Mullinix hits one over the wall. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah, you, yeah. you deserve that one, please. Yeah. Great name, Rance Mullinix. Love that. I don't remember yeah. that. You don't? Well, yeah. all right, so now look at it the other way. It, you're 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 okay. biting your nails. You're biting your nails. You know, 
but all of a sudden a guy walks into the batter's box on the Yankees and you go, we'll be okay. Who's the guy you most want? And it doesn't actually, it could be a pitcher too. Let me be clear. Could, who do you most want to see in a Yankee lineup when you're, uh, when you're playing us? I would say, well, it's kind of, it's kind of easy and obvious now because he's still on your roster, but Ellsbury, you know, I, 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 oh, once he left, I never feared him and you never trusted him either. And He's just such a sh- – I mean, I hope he doesn't prove me wrong, but he's just such a shell of himself, you know. Um, I My runner-up for this one was going to be Stanton, which is kind of a stupid answer because Stanton's a great hitter. But I just felt like he never came up with that one big clutch hit against us last year. So those are my answers. That's in- that's insane. You don't you don't want Stanton up. But well, I know, no, I, I, I know what you're saying. saying. You like, have a moment. Right? I, I wouldn't be nearly as scared as if Judge was up. And, and I should be because he's because he's tough. Obviously, he's, he's the one of the best in the league. Uh, but yeah, Ellsbury, he's still sitting there on your roster, so I'll take him. <laughs> well, he's not on the roster just because he's hurt. But he's apparently he's going to be ready to play, they think, in May or June. And don't be surprised if the Yankees just cut him. I mean, it all oh, depends okay. on what their health is like. Well, see, I, this is why I thought on, on MLB.com, they have a list. I guess this includes the guys on the disabled list, huh? Is He's on yeah, there. Hicks. Hicks is on the disabled list. So they technically they technically could use him. I mean, he's, I, it's hard to imagine him playing center field at all. But technically speaking, if Hicks is out, Gardner's going to play center. Maybe Ellsbury's okay for a fourth or fifth outfielder slot. But... There's, and this guy, this guy, players. Touchman's going to make the 25-man yeah, roster? They, they literally just traded for him from the Rockies. This poor guy, Tyler Ray, Wade, who's been in the Yankee system forever. He's one of these, you know, triple-A all-star types. Who yeah. Every time he comes up to Yankee Stadium, he just, he just bombs, right? Yeah. But this year, they just said, you know, Hicks is out. Tyler Wade is going to be our guy. He's a utility guy that can play the outfield. He's, he's in, he's in, he's in. And then... Three days before the season, they strike some trade to bring in this Talkman guy who apparently really he hits 30 home runs in the minors every year, but has been blocked in, in the Rockies. And see ya, Sayonara, Tyler Wade. And give him credit on the way down. He actually was, unlike most Yankees, totally honest. He said, This sucks. I was blindsided. I don't know what else I could do. I showed them everything I needed to do. This is uh this this is fucked. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know in the Yankee world if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But Interesting. He may have screwed himself. But anyway, he really told so, a reporter. Um, he told a reporter, "This is fucked." It's colorful language. No, I don't think he said this is fucked oh, per se. But true. he did say he was blindsided and very upset about it, which you would be too. I know. It's not the type of thing you normally say publicly because it ends up sounding like wham, wham, wham. You know. But. And it, it did have a little bit of that. But. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, on my side, there's nobody I want to see in the uh, Red Sox lineup more than David Price. Period. <laughs> That's a I good mean, one. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. I know he ended the year strong. I know he had a great playoff run after the Yankees series. I know he had one good start. I think against the Yankees themselves. But that guy, I just not right in the head. And and you hit the nail on the head the other week, saying there are as many Red Sox fans as Yankee fans that despise this yeah. guy. It seems like he's ready to implode at any minute. Don't like his whole act and and. One of the reasons he's despised here is because publicly he's just been really aloof. And like when he he was the farthest thing from the guy who like owned the losses, like I suck today. Like he would never say that. He would just say, "Well, I don't yeah. think I, I don't think I threw that bad today." Well, dude, you lost seven to two. Like you couldn't have thrown it that good, you know. 
Um, but the guy he, I want up to bat, by the way, I should say this is um, is Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. Why are they still? They're still running him out there. Right? I mean, I know he he was yeah. injured all last year, but it's funny. Uh, Pedroia and Ellsbury were two of the postseason stars of the 2007 championship Red Sox team, uh, and now they're both shells of themselves. Yeah, and the Yankees actually have owned him for years, even when he was still playing. So I don't, I wouldn't mind seeing him. Yeah, I don't expect him to do any. Yeah, I don't know why he's still on the roster. He should go get a beer with Gronk right now. Really? <laughs> okay, speaking of Gronk, let's yeah. talk about this then. You know, I admitted my admiring affection for Gronk. Yep. When you look at this current crop of Yankees, as much as it pains you to admit, who is the guy on the Yankee team that you begrudgingly either admire or actually downright like and root for if it even goes that far? Nobody. No, just kidding. I <laughs> I like uh I like Gregorius. I I just like um that his I like his sort of style. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know the team as well as you do, but he just he just never seems to get too high or low. Um, you know, good fielder, clutch hitter, and then the reason why I secretly like him is because I heard that when he gets up occasionally, there are people who will do a chant fashioned after the Duran Duran song, Notorious. You know, <laughs> Greg, Greg, Gregorious. Yeah, there you go. Didi, Didi is the greatest. Yeah, he so I made a good pick, team. right? Yeah. He has. He is a guy that just smiles all the time. Yeah. Good times or bad times. It's one of the things that worries me about this team is that, you know, he's not here the first half of the season. And I oh yeah, get right. a sneaky suspicion that he's this little glue piece mm. that fits, fits it all together. But you can't, you got to love Didi. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm here to tell you about an affliction that affects millions of Americans every year. It's growing and there's no end in sight. I'm talking, of course, about podcast envy. Hi, I'm George. I suffered from podcast envy. Sure, I had a podcast, but it wasn't the biggest deal. It was just insignificant compared to other podcasts. I felt so inadequate. Hi, I'm Buck. I felt myself consistently looking at other podcasts. They seemed so massive. My friends and I were finally able to conquer podcast envy when I found the Boston Podcast Network. They gave us a new podcast, a mighty powerful one too. They even gave it a name. Shawshanked. We finally had a podcast, one we could hold up high and be proud of. We were now able to whip out our podcast and expose it publicly. Thousands of people received our podcast on the internet on pod617.com. Some enjoy our podcast in bits and spurts. Many prefer to swallow it whole. Either way, don't wait any longer. Please act now. End your own podcast envy. Go to pod617.com and take hold of your own podcast. Find our podcast Shawshank. See if you can handle it. Don't be ashamed of your little podcast. Get a big one at pod617.com. Thousands of people received our podcast, spraying it all over their Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And for you, my friend, the Red Sox player that you secretly admire, who might that be? Well, secretly. You know, the easy the easy answer is, is Mookie. Mookie. How do you, how do you not, not like You Mookie, do like him. Yep. Right. I'm a, I'm a also partial to uh, left hand pitcher Brian Johnson, mm-hmm. um, six uh, three two forty nine pounder, twenty eight year old with three years of experience. Um, Why do you like him so much? I, I have no idea. He's pretty much last in your in your uh, 
in yep. your pen from what I can talk about, but from what I can ascertain. Actually, he wasn't so bad last year. I think no, you I just think. like saying Johnson. And no. by the way, he struggled with depression, and now you're making fun of him. So, <sighs> so don't you feel like an asshole? <laughs> Mookie, though, who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, the day, the day that they mic'd up Mookie, was it in the All Star game? And you just realized, yeah, I remember, yeah. oh man, that's a great guy. Yeah, he's he just having, he's, and he's like you said about Gregorius, he's he seems to be always having fun. Um, and this is what yeah. this is what I wanted to bring up actually, real quick about Jeter. And I was in an argument um, with a friend of mine who's a diehard Mets fan, and I always thought Jeter was in that position where everybody um, admired him for his skill. He wasn't, he didn't seem to be an asshole, so people didn't hate him. And my buddy informed me with with no wiggle room that Derek Jeter was despised by everyone around baseball. What? All, all, not including his own team. No, no, no. Beloved he, by his own Yankee team fan, and despised by others. Were you – did you despise Derek Jeter? No. I, I, wait, who's – where is this coming from? Despised around baseball by fans or despised by, by players? Non, no, no. By non-Yankee fans. In other words – you know, I don't hate Mookie Betts. Okay. I just can't. I just, I, he's great. He seems like a great guy. No, I, I disagree I, I with your friend. Him. Who is, is this Mike Flam we're talking about? Yes. Shout out to Flam. <laughs> Flam, I love you, but you're wrong in this case. He is not. Okay, explain, explain. Because I, I agree with you, but he was the one who was, it, he literally said there is no Yankee, non-Yankee fan in the universe who who not likes true. Now I'll say this: I did think he was overrated, and there, there are. I'm not the geek to come up with the numbers, but there are geeks that have come up with the numbers that show that he was below average defensively. For example, a hundred percent. Yeah, he was so there's that. A, there's that. Not a good defender. And and the catch he made falling into the stands is one of the more overrated plays in history. It was now it was it was a good moment. But the play itself was actually not that great a play because he made the catch and then stumbled and staggered and fell into the stands. Well, bravo! I fell down after I caught the ball. <laughs> anyway, that aside, he was the guy I least like seeing up against the Sox. Clutch, always clutch, and um, carried himself well. And I and and carried himself with a with class i thought as far as i could see and last last story which i've probably told 300 times on this very podcast but there was a day where he and a rod conspired to misplay a foul pop which fell right between them i happened to be at fenway the next day had good seats and as jeter is on deck he's with an earshot of me and i scream derek that was a rod's fall yesterday right and he turns and looks at me and says nothing turns back and then turns right back towards me and looks at me and gives me a little nod. Yes, <laughs> it was it was awesome, and everybody around kind of laughed. And he and he kind of smiled. He walked away. And I love that he used to say he used to like to play in Fenway Park. So sorry, Flam, you're wrong. I, I he glared. He glared at A Rod after that play. By yeah. The way. Oh, like, you remember was, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. wrote about it actually a couple weeks ago in the New York Post. But so what you're saying, and we'll wrap this up. You did not hate Derek Jeter the way I hate Tom Brady. No. Well, well, I'll admit to that. If, well, I don't know. I don't know how you hate Tom Brady, but but um, I'm trying to think of a Yankee I hated. Uh, well, A-Rod. Did you hate yeah, A-Rod? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, he but, seemed to think that people hated Jeter 
the same way they hated no, it in a way. No, it's not even wrong. close. Oh, yeah. it's not yeah, even close. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to talk about that. I think, real, I think get... real sports fans, and Flam, is he still, that guy, is he still a sports writer? Because I but can't. He works for the New York Times, not on okay. the sports desk anymore. I can't, but... I can't call him not a sports fan because he's we're, probably we're one gonna of the. We're going to have him on. We're going to have to have him we on. We should to have him on himself. too. Yes. Okay, we'll have him on. Okay. All right, so moving on to the last one, and this yes. is the flip side, Dave. Thinking about the Yankee lineup, who do you want to punch in the face? <laughs> I thought, yes, I, mean, I thought about this they, one for you a can while. Run away. As long as you know that you're not going to, you can punch him in the face and get away with it. This it, is not, don't factor in the fact that you're fearing for your life afterwards. No problem. No problemo. And it was between uh, Gardner, I think, because Gardner's not that annoying, but he's got a little bit of a punk kid in him. He's older now, what? though. So. Brett, Brett Gardner? Hold on. He's not my pick. My, my pick is Sabathia. Because if for no other reason, can can we be done with the hat thing? The hat thing has is, is got to be done. The turning the hat to the side thing. It wasn't cool when he did it in the first place in the 90s. And now can we be done? Was that in the 90s? It was pretty close to it. I don't know. I love CC. Oh, man. <laughs> I love that guy. And it's solidified by what he did. You know you know what he's suspended for? No, I don't. So he's suspended at the beginning of the year. Because Cheeseburgers? He, no. No, he threw the bacon cheese fries. He... <laughs> threw um, at a batter in a tight game, got thrown out of the game. And as he was walking off the mound, mm-hmm. he points to the uh, bench and yep. says, that was for you, bitch. Because, you know, opposing <laughs> pitcher had thrown at oh, okay. one of the Yankee players. So he nails the guy, gets thrown out of the game. And they have this on slow-mo on video. Oh, Look nice. at it online. He just goes, that was for you, bitch. Wait, this and is this is from last year, regular season? or this Last is from- season, regular season. Okay. And this is amazing. Yep. This is why the new Yankees are great. Um, the, by losing the innings that he was going to be able to pitch that year, he actually missed some of his contract minimums to get a bonus payment. Right. And I you know, heard about this. The, the players association, they don't are the, they don't like to fuck with this stuff. Like you get paid what's in your contract and that's it. Right. But the Yankees, the Yankees paid him anyway. Yeah. Which it, the old Yankees would have been, you know, everybody loves George Steinbrenner now. No way does George pay that. Right, but the new Yankees—they're like, yeah, yeah, that—that that was a good, that was good. Here's your money. Yeah, I loved it, loved it. It's like I this is it. like the scene in Eight Men Out when Charlie Comiskey refuses to pay the bonus to Eddie Seacott for only winning 29 games and not 30, Damn. even though he benched him for three weeks. <laughs> Eddie Seacott in the movie, anyway, he's like, exactly. you, you benched me for three weeks down the stretch. He goes, well, you still didn't win 30 games. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this podcast. Please share it with a friend or a colleague. You can find all past episodes at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, not the New York Podcast Network. Maybe someday, maybe someday, folks, uh, Milt will start it up, and I will support him as he has supported me. And enjoy your day, Boston. Why don't you just put bacon on that? Father, I'm firing water at the